0: Hey, it's Timmy Whispers from Stacey King's Give Me the Hot Sauce podcast. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track, all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, three-year or 30,000-mile complimentary maintenance, and America's best warranty. Ensure you can take on any adventure. I'm planning on going river rafting this weekend, and I'm ready to head out on the trails with all-wheel drive. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. America's best warranty claim based on total package of warranty programs. See dealer for limited warranty details. Complimentary maintenance included Hyundai approved oil and oil filter change, except for electric vehicles and fuel cell electric vehicles, plus tire rotation and normal factory schedule maintenance intervals for three years or 36,000 miles, whichever comes first. More frequent maintenance due to severe driving conditions or conditions is excluded. Offer valid only for new 2020 or 2024 Hyundai models purchased or leased on or after February 1st, 2020. See your Hyundai dealer for further details and limitations. Hi, Timmy Whispers here from Give Me the Hot Sauce Podcast. The two-way V4 features groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam, creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Fuel cell gives you the ultimate energy return, ensuring every step feels explosive and dynamic. Fresh foam offers unparalleled cushioning for maximum comfort for the entire game. The upper construction features a lightweight textile that reduces weight while remaining supportive and breathable. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way at NewBalance.com. Oh my goodness! It's only preseason,
1: but I'm high peeled
2: Hey for those of you watching on YouTube, it's a little bit dark in the studio today. It's kind of like the uh, fortunes for the Chicago Bears. My god, was that ugly yesterday on the lakefront. I was there covering the game for Channel 7 and it was it was just brutal. I mean, with such high expectations, walking into Soldier Field, the fans were hyped, the tailgates were live, people were expecting this great show that the rivalry was going to kind of flip and it didn't happen. I know you guys watched the game, what were your instant reactions?
1: I was hyped. I was really looking forward to this game. You know, I, I thought the Bears would come out with a little bit more energy. Um it was kind of, you know, I was just like, okay, when is it going to happen? When are they going to turn on the switch? The crowd was into the game. And I understand you get that first quarter jitters out the way. It's the first game of the year. Didn't have a lot of preseason uh, action with the right. starters. So you yeah. knew they were going to be a little rusty. But I, I tell you what, man, I mean, just watching that game was just so frustrating because they couldn't move the ball. Um, they couldn't hit open receivers. The play calling was awful. Offense and defensive lines were terrible. Uh yeah. um, They, I mean, I was. We were just talking before we came on the show. You know, Justin Fields was running for his life like he had a pack of wolves chasing him. And then, and then Jordan Love was sitting back there in a recliner and a lazy boy with a with some Pequod pizza and a and a, and a Heineken watching the U.S. Open. I mean, yeah. they, they touched him. He got sacked one time and they only had three quarterback hits on him in four quarters. That's
2: ridiculous. Yeah, I saw some stats where uh, Fields was pressured 35 times, and the Bears only put pressure on Love six times. So that's pretty yeah, pretty good discrepancy there. Your guy, Lucas Van Ness, the local kid, got a sack yeah. of Justin Fields as well, which prevented what could have been a touchdown drive there.
0: Should have been four-yard line, and you go back yeah. a few yards. Kid's fast. He's big.
2: What high school did he play at? Barrington. Barrington. Yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you what, though. They they dominated in all phases of the game. Our Bears insider, Mark Grody, is going to join us in just a few minutes to talk at length about what went on with the Bears. But first, we're talking a little bit of basketball. Turned out that the uh, U.S. showing at the FIBA World Cup did not oh. end the way everyone thought. Of course, we told you last week they lost to Germany in the semifinals. But then, you know, they lose to Canada in overtime for the bronze medal, so they come home with nothing. And, and you know, it's just a, kind of the same old story. Not a lot of size. They were starting Jaron Jackson Jr. at center, and he was not able to do it do the job on the boards. They got out rebounded again by by Germany, and that's really what hurt them. Second chance points and, and just not being able to control their own backboard. <sighs> Noah Lyles is somewhere right now. Yeah, he he's celebrating
1: been over social media yeah. and, and really reveling in this loss. Yeah. Um let me tell you something. America. The NBA. The NBA, unless you're sending your best NBA players, most likely a lot of these guys are not used to playing international basketball. You cannot, the NBA has to learn how to adapt to the European style of play because that's what you're playing when you go over and play in these world championships and the Olympics. Unless you bring a superior talent, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, which the the NBA Avengers are getting ready to assemble to go yeah, to, to well. go to go to because I don't think you'll see any of these guys who are on it. Maybe Anthony Edwards, maybe, but I don't think you'll see anybody that was on this World Championship team playing on that Olympic team. Because you're going to have LeBron, Kevin Durant. Um, you're going to have like all the big name. Got Dame Lillard. You're going to have all the stars come out. I don't think you'll see anybody on this roster that was on this World Championship roster play on the Olympics.
2: Yeah, you mentioned the Avengers assembling. LeBron James on Monday said that he has an interest in playing in Paris next year. His teammate Anthony Davis is probably going to come along. He's going to reach out to Kevin Durant and Steph Curry. This could be, this definitely could be a kind of a dream team too situation.
1: Well, I mean, you know, you, you know I, I made a list today on Twitter of, of what the team could possibly look like if every, if all the stars would commit. I mean, there's so many there's so many guys they can pick from. But what the what they need is versatility. So let's just say they get LeBron, Anthony Davis, Steph Curry, uh Kawhi Leonard to come play, Jimmy Jason Butler, Tatum. uh Jason Tatum, um, you know, Paul George, Miles Turner, cause you need some big guys. I would say go out and get Brooke Lopez. Like he'd be one of my big guys that I would take. I wish Steven Adams was was uh, you know, was a U.S. citizen because I would take him.
2: Well, they might be able to get Joel Embiid. He has to yeah. make a choice. There,
1: there might be a possibility. I think he'd rather play on the U.S. team than playing yeah. on his team. But, um, you know, you get a guy like Miles Turner, you know, six eleven guy can shoot threes, rim protect. Uh, he would be a good addition. Um, you know, Bam Brooke, Lopez, out of Bam out of bio, some bigs that can get out there and switch and, and play. But here's the problem. And I'm not a I'm not a, a big I, I don't support the pick and roll all the time the pick and roll defense that the NBA mm-hmm. plays where you're switching you know bigs on smalls and smalls on bigs. What you saw in the European game was was that you know Germany and and Canada you know these guys know how to play Serbia they know how to play and and take advantage of switches they don't just take the first shot that they have so if you have a guard that has a switch on a big man. The European team is not trying to trying to beat the guy and go one-on-one. He's trying to get an advantage by beating you off the dribble, making you have to rotate two or three times, and they find their open shooters, where the Americans are more one-on-one. This is my chance to go one-on-one. I got the matchup that I want, and I'm going to go one-on-one. And they're not even interested in trying to find a better shot. And that's how they play in, in, in the NBA, and they trying to play that way in the European ball, and it doesn't work.
2: How about the bronze medal game? I know some of the guys probably weren't highly motivated in that one from on the U.S. side, but Dylan Brooks scored 39 points. I think he made like eight of ten three pointers. I mean, this is a guy that couldn't shoot it to save his life in this past season, and I know you said he's probably going to come back and have a really good year for the Houston Rockets. He showed he showed an international audience that that he can bring something offensively.
1: Well, listen, I, I've I've said he would be a great pickup for the Bulls. I said that. All along, regardless of what happened in the in the Lakers series and him talking himself into a bad series, uh, the kid can defend. He can he can shoot. He can score. He can handle the ball. He can do a lot of the intangible things that you need. Sometimes he can be a headache with some of the things that he says and how he you know carries himself. But the one thing you can't deny about the kid is he competes he competes all the time. And I think what you saw in this international game is like, hey, look, I'm just not a defensive stopper. I can score, too. You just got to run me some plays. You got to involve me in the offense. And Canada did that. He had a big game, huge, huge game. And uh, I think he was motivated going up against NBA players as well.
2: And Dennis Schroeder, of course, who is uh, signed on with the Toronto Raptors, he's going to replace Van Vliet as their starting point guard. He's really the MVP of this tournament as Germany wins the gold with the uh, Wagner brothers and Daniel Tice, the former Bull. They did a nice job. One other NBA story I want to get to before we get to bring Mark Grody in is there was news on Monday that Commissioner Adam Silver is trying to crack down on teams resting their star players in nationally televised games. The com- competition committee says they're going to find teams that violate that rule. They're also going to try to have a new provision where teams can't sit two of their star players in the same game because they're cheating audiences who come pay good money to come out and see these guys. Well, it's a shame that you've got to implement these rules. I
1: mean, you know, if, if I'm an owner and I'm the NBA and I'm paying these guys $15, 20000000 million to play, you're going to play at least 70 plus games. Okay. It's always been that way. Teams that, you know, players going back to Bob Cousy and Bill, you know, Bill, you know, Bill Walton and and Bill Russell and Will Chamberlain, those guys were traveling buses and trains. And they they played every game. They played every single game. Some of those guys had to go get second jobs to, to be able to survive. The NBA wasn't paying the money that the players are getting now. Mm -hmm. They had to go out and get second jobs. So, I don't really, you know, I played in this league. You know, we it was an honor to play 75 to 82 games. It was a badge of honor when you you say, hey, I played 82 games. You know, you you know, you, we just didn't miss games, you know. And to see these guys, you know, missing 15, 20 games a year, especially with the way ticket prices are and how hard it is for families to, to take their whole family to the game. I've had some friends where they say, hey, you know, I can't bring five people to the game. I can right. only bring two at a time. You know, and that's so sad because, you know, it's like and then when you do come to the game, Mark, you find out that uh, Kawhi Leonard's not playing, you know, or LeBron's not playing. He's sitting out and you you pay good money to come see them play. And this might be the only time that you're able to see them play because they only come once when they come from the West Coast. And then I missed that game. And so I put all this money.
2: And it's a waste. Yeah, you look at some of the games missed by star players this past season, it's amazing. You, you run down the list of some of the laundry stars in the NBA and they're playing 55, 60 games out of an 82 game season. And I think the thing that league is really concerned about from a financial perspective is, you've got big money TV deals with these partners. And if the stars aren't playing, they're not getting the bank for their buck and that could hurt them down the road.
1: Well, and, and here, here's, you know here's what I would do if I'm an owner and say, hey look, you guys wanna miss games, that's fine. Then let's surrender a game check. Yeah. So, so these guys who're making ten million dollars and you know they're making you know uh, one hundred fifty thousand dollars a minute. If you want to sit out, sit out. But surrender that game check. Yeah. The game check comes back to me. That'll put an end to
2: it. Real that'll, quick. That'll put an end to it really quick. <laughs> load management will be a thing of the past. So, some other team that looked like they might have been load managing yesterday was the Chicago Bears. Let's oh. uh, let's bring in our buddy Mark Grody who was there with me at Soldier Field to witness the disaster. Groats, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. You know, all the hype about an improved roster. They've got playmakers. They've got weapons on offense. They've got an improved offensive line. It looked like the same shit as last year. Justin Fields running for his life, couldn't see receivers open down the field, and the defense gave up too many big plays in the passing game. So I know that uh, Matt Eberflus talk today, did he have any explanation for what happened uh, for the opening night jitters?
3: No, not not really like an explanation. There was at least an acknowledgement of it, though. And the slot, I mean, and I'll, I'll give you two specific things on offense and on defense that he pointed to. First of all, he didn't say the words "the blocking sucked," but he may as well have said <laughs> the blocking sucked because it did. Because, yeah. Well, and from watching that game and knowing the game plan. This was about very conservative short passing where you require really good downfield blocking, and it wasn't there. And then just with the offensive line itself, they were a nightmare. I mean, they were sloppy. There were false starts after false starts, most of them Braxton Jones, one credited to the entire offensive line as well, which gave everybody a little laugh, I think, in the press box when that was announced to us as well. So blocking was bad on offense. The thing that he mentioned, again, um, acknowledged, was that third down was uh, atrocious for the defense in terms. I mean, right from the very beginning of the game, the, the Packers with Jordan freaking Love... They convert a third and 13 along the way to scoring. They score a touchdown on a fourth and three. They converted that – actually, I don't know if this was on third down, but it's worth bringing up because it was also maybe the biggest nightmare of of the game, the 51-yard screen to Aaron Jones, which just makes you think about every other Packer regime that has gone up against the Bears. You know They have been great at that with the Bears. So, yeah – the Fluose acknowledged it. Um, don't know what the solutions are at this point, though.
1: I'll tell you the one of the things that really was disappointing for me, Mark, is is that here you got a, a big time receiver. Big time receiver, and he only got two targets the yeah. whole game. How do you not get DJ Moore more involved in the offense? Is it the play calling or is it Justin Fields running for his life, not knowing where DJ Moore is because he's trying to, you know, try to stay upright and not get hurt?
3: Yeah, there you know there was the the one drive where he had those two magical targets and the two magical catches that went along with it. That was a th- that was when they uh, when Cairo Santos hit a thirty-seven yard field goal. It was a twelve play, fifty-two yard drive. He had uh, passes of eleven yards and fourteen yards to DJ Moore, and it was like okay, that looks pretty good. And the passes that they made to DJ Moore, the connections, a slant pass at one point in time, slant. And Justin Fields looked good on it. And then all of a sudden, it was never to be, literally never to be found in the game again. I can only tell you what the, you know, DJ Moore talking to him in the locker room. He did say that, yeah, there he was getting extra attention. And the words he used were, I don't know if, you know, I may have been hard to see because of all the attention that I was getting. My only response to that is... Justin Fields has got to adjust to that and I don't think that's excusable the idea that um you know you couldn't see the guy this is the life of a number one wide receiver and the life of a quarterback is to find your number one receiver even in those circumstances so yeah that was that was terrible especially relative to what we saw in training camp and even in the preseason with DJ Moore and then he was a big nothing yesterday
2: yeah, I was in that scrum with you with DJ Moore, and you got the feeling that okay, it's the opening game. I'll give him one, but if this shit continues, he's gonna have he's gonna have a lot to say. And, and the reality, because he's a, he's the number one receiver, he's a diva like so many guys in the past. But you know, the bottom line is let's you know let's get to the crux of the matter. If Justin Fields doesn't get better, this is just going to be a terrible season. And and the things that were alarming, I know as you mentioned, the game plan was to go to a lot of the shorter passes and let guys try to break tackles and make plays in space, but. There, there were open receivers that, that he just didn't see. And we heard so much in the offseason about his progress, about how he sees the field better, how he's making better decisions. And he was getting some love nationally. And yet in game one, he looked jittery and unsure of himself. Is, is, it, is it, we get to the point in his third season where you're worried about his long term future?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think that I'll answer that question, but I'll, I'll preface it by saying that we saw some of this in training camp you know i was at every single training camp practice and one of the big problems for justin fields was his accuracy throwing the ball down the field um and there were so many times where we'd be tweeting about "Yeah, oh, there's another tyreek stevenson interception there's another kyler gordon and i called him the mvp of the defense and one of the mvps of training camp um, just because Justin Fields was misfiring on a lot of plays, and that leads me into the game plan. I understood the game plan that Luke Getzi implemented because they obviously were seeing exactly what we saw, and that was a lack of accuracy with the downfield passing. Not that that can't evolve. And then finally, Mark, um, you know the, his his future and what this says. Am I starting to get worried about his future as an as a big time NFL starting quarterback? Yeah. Absolutely. And it's not like he can't overcome this and he can't like I haven't uh, overruled or I haven't ruled him out as still being a special quarterback. But I think the biggest problem is, is that even though it is fair to say the offensive line was collapsing, there was the bad blocking downfield, DJ Moore was covered or whatever DJ Moore was saying. If you are a good or great quarterback in this league, you're supposed to make those guys better. You're supposed to make those guys better. Unfortunately, that's not something I'm seeing out of Justin Fields right now. That I can say definitively, he is not making other players better.
1: Well, you look at Chase Claypool. His picture's on a milk carton. Um, They're looking (laughs) for him. Uh, You know, because you know, talking about in 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 the preseason, you know, a lot of people were raving about. He looked like a different person when he wasn't hurt and he wasn't missing practice. And then you saw they made a video. Me and Mark were talking about this. They made a video of, of all the plays where he. Didn't have energy, missed blocks. Um, it just looked really bad. He just didn't like he was really out there playing when the play wasn't designed for him. It's almost like he kind of quit on plays. And and so what do you, what do they what do they say about that? Did they did they even talk about that?
3: Yeah, I mean they, they will like that Claypool's name. I don't think ever came up individually today with Matt Eberflus. And I'll say this too. Chase Claypool was not available in the locker room afterwards. So we did not get a chance to to talk to him. He skipped out of there. Um, but to your point, Stacy, I mean, I was on the the score pregame show with Patrick Manley and Olin Kreutz and um Mike Mulligan, Mully from the, the morning show on the score. And I told him, I said, hey, even though Chase Claypool was injured in camp and he had his little skirmishes. I said, he looked pretty good, actually. Like he looked good in camp. So I was one of the people like saying, yeah, give this guy, you know, let, let's see what he is with a blank slate and forget last year he was dropped in. Maybe he didn't know the playbook. Maybe we'll allow for his excuses. After yesterday, I got nothing. I got nothing. Like there's no excuse for that. You're absolutely right, Stacey. I mean, he he didn't, he it seemed like the plays that he knew the ball wasn't coming to him in particular. It was like you weren't seeing the, the aggression from him, the speed from him, the blocking from him. None of it was there. So I honestly have no idea what's going on with Chase Claypool. Somebody asked me today, and it, it, it the question surprised me a little bit, but it, it can't be ruled out. The, the question to me was... Is he going to be, will he be active against Tampa Bay? Might, might he be one of the inactives for the Bears? <laughs> Excuse me. And I got to be honest with you, I can't rule that out. I mean, you got Equanimia St. Brown and Velas Jones Jr., both who were inactive. Do one of those guys, Does he? does he swap with one of those guys in week two, if nothing else, but to get his head right? Because it's not, it doesn't seem like it's in the game right now.
2: All right, so the Bears have to try to regroup, go on the road to play the Buccaneers in Tampa. They uh, upset the Minnesota Vikings uh, in, on week one. So obviously this is a team that that is is going to have a, a good chance to win at home. Then you've got the Kansas City Chiefs on the road, the defending Super Bowl champions. This could get out of hand quickly. What is your confidence level in this uh, group being able to circle the wagons and come up with a competitive effort in Tampa on Sunday?
3: I I mean, I've seen it with Bears teams in the past. You know, unfortunately, I don't have any like examples right off the top of my head, but we all know that we've seen a lot of really awful losses by the Bears and there have been rebounds for them. So it is, it's, in other words, it's not inconceivable that the Bears would go on the road and beat Tampa Bay next week. I, I don't think Tampa Bay is. That like, that was surprising what they did in Minnesota. I don't, I don't think that they are that good and maybe Minnesota is that bad. I don't know. Some combination of weird NFL confluences coming together there, but yeah, I mean, they, they need to get their acts together quickly because, I mean, you said it right, Mark. I mean, there's no way, there's no way they're going to beat Kansas city. Let's just be real about that. No matter what, even if the bears win this game against Tampa Bay, um, but They, it was, everything was so bad, was so bad in that first game, offense, defense, penalties, everything mentally, physically, everything was just so bad. You've almost put yourself in a situation where in week two, and I kind of. Did the, the the you know half genuine? It's a must win against the Packers because of everything. Now here they are because of the schedule and a situation where they kind of got to win this game for, yeah. for more reasons than just you know falling to zero two, but also for the overall morale and is this team actually better this year than it was last year? Because that's the bar.
1: Well, and, and you know, is Luke Luke going to going to open up the playbook a little bit more? Because you know when you when you talked about. DJ Moore being double teamed and having you know getting a lot of attention that means other guys are going to be wide open that means guys are going to have one-on-one matchups is he going to open up the playbook and instead of doing this little dink and diamond and you know screens and let Justin Fields throw the ball down the field a little bit more
3: I think that will happen, or, and I was just on with uh, our friends uh, Danny Parkins and Matt Spiegel, and Parkins was particularly livid over the fact that there was only one design run for Justin Fields. So what I'm saying, Stacy, is that maybe they go back to last year a little bit, where, yeah, you see an opening, man, you take that opening, or design more runs for him as well. The only problem that I have, with the, the concept of let's just let Justin Fields loose. I mean, that's what I'd love to see. But again, not seeing the the conversions in training camp makes me nervous and makes me understand what the game plan was. But I guess eventually, if you want to be a real NFL team that keeps up with other NFL teams in an offensive era, eventually, yes, you got to start throwing the ball down the field
2: well it's going to be interesting to see what kind of comments we hear on Wednesday and Thursday during the open locker room periods at Hallis Hall I knew I know like yourself reporters just dread having to go in there you know when the season's lost it can't be lost after week one, week <laughs> one. there's got to be some optimism we got 16 more of these left
3: It's so true and I I do think like I will say this the locker room was um quote unquote good yesterday yeah, it Wasn't uh, that playpool not being around. Like they knew it was bad. It's all as you said, Mark. You are you are uh, you get it, man. You are a veteran reporter like me. Yeah. Uh, this early, they they're pretty good at, at at standing up and and answering these questions, but. It it could get away from them and then <laughs> consequently get away from us that's and feel right. very so. God help us all.
0: God help us all.
2: Yeah, I picked a great year to be back on the beat. You know, that's great. <laughs>
0: well, <laughs> well, there was Roshan. The there was Roshan. There is one. Yeah,
2: Roshan Johnson looked to look good in to. garbage time. Oh right?
3: yeah, yeah. We'll give you, we'll give you Roshan, the, the fourth round rookie out of Texas had a had a nice game. So I I wish it meant more, but yeah, I guess you know it's funny you say that. Like that's maybe the one one thing that corresponded with with what happened in the training camp on the good side i mean that that actually appeared in the game like we like roshan johnson has been a nice little revelation after he got over his injury, he has looked good. Looked good in the preseason. Has looked good in training camp, and you got to get a little feel of Roshan Johnson, who hopefully we can celebrate for for better reasons later on in the season.
1: Well, and let, let's, not, let's not let the defense get off the hook either, because they they sucked on the front. The front guys <laughs> sucked too. How, now going into Tampa Bay, because you're going to be p- facing kind of a mobile quarterback, in, in you know Baker Mayfield. Are they going to try to bring some pressure, blitz, do some different things? Because that's what Green Bay did to the Bears yesterday. They sent a lot of different blitz packages at Justin Fields. But I didn't feel like the Bears really put a lot of pressure on Jordan Love as far as a blitz package. So can we see something different in this game against Tampa Bay? Put a little pressure on the quarterback?
3: Yeah, I hope they do find a way. I hope that they adjust in game because I, you know, like the the four three defense, like they obviously they they're hoping to get the pressure from the upfront guys. That's the name of the game in that defense. But to your point, when you're not getting to the quarterback, and you never got to the quarterback nope. last year either, by the way, it's time to adjust, and it's time to hold the coaches and Alan Williams accountable. You brought in Yannick Ngakwe, who did have a a sack on a stunt play. Um, he did have a, a tackle for loss, but. You can't just be like, all right, um, you know, leave these guys out there and hope that the pressure that you're getting naturally will get to the quarterback because it hasn't for two years. So or a year and a game, I'm not going to completely crush these guys. But, yeah, I mean, I-, I will say that, you know, for DeMarcus Walker, that was his first game after not playing in the preseason. So I thought he looked and admitted that he was a little bit rusty. But, you know, I'd like to see them dial up you know, what they used to do with Roquan Smith, dial up Tremaine Edmonds, maybe, you know, uh, DJ Walker, whatever the case may be, um, to to get a little bit more, hell, you know, uh, corner blitz, something, just to give the quarterback the, the uh, it's like throwing to first base on a pickoff play. At least let them know you're there for crying yeah. out that we're thinking <laughs> about you. Give the imagination a little bit more of a flex.
2: All right, Groats, well, hopefully we'll be talking next Monday about a bounce-back win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, good luck in the trenches at Halis Hall this week, and we appreciate your work as always.
3: Thanks, guys. Always love coming on with you three. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark, Mark, Mark. Rohde, our
2: Bears insider, with uh, the post mortem after a very, very tough loss He's to post-mortem. the arch rival Packers. Yeah. Hey, when it comes to insurance for your auto home and business, make sure you contact the king of insurance. He's our good friend, nationwide agent Jeff Vukovic. You can reach him at jeffvuk.com. That's Jeff V U And I don't think he was smiling like that watching the Bears game yeah, yesterday. Yeah. His phone number where you can reach him is 847 825 4783. He's the best in the business Our good friend Jeff Fukovich And the jingle, always in season
1: Nationwide is on your side
2: Very nice Hey, coming up next we've got a special treat If you've been enjoying the show Winning Time On HBO Max It's based on the book written by Jeff Perlman Called Showtime Jeff's going to join us next to give us his review on the show And also talk about some of his best-selling books That involve some Chicago legends That's next on Give Me the Hot Sauce Give me the hot sauce rolls on, and of course, no episode will be complete without our buddy Christopher Walken telling how you can get some hot sauce.
5: Yeah, you guys threw me off coming in on a Monday. I got other things to do.
2: Come on, Chris. You no, got to put the time in.
5: Mondays are busy. It's Thursdays that I was free.
1: <laughs> wow. Okay, next time, we'll remember to work around your schedule, Christopher yeah. Walken.
5: Yeah, well, thanks. So, anyhow, let me tell you, because I got to get back to listening to some Foo Fighters us! <laughs> <Fighters. laughs> and uh so keep using the codes everyone walk and fire walk and queue get your free bottles at give me the hot sauce dot com with any order and uh if you haven't been there before it's g-i-m-m-e yeah. hot sauce dot com.
2: and that slacker uh whispers will bottle it for you right that's right and if and it shows it. up
5: broken it wasn't yeah. my doing
1: all right. Yeah, he forgot the hot sauce. We were at the event we had last week with the Cubs tailgating. Yeah. Well, old Whispers forgot the the case of hot sauce that we were supposed to bring to the tub, the hamburger tasting thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. great. Yeah. Great work, Chris. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
5: No, it wasn't me. It was that idiot Whispers. Again, <laughs> he had it in
1: his car, and then he rides over with me and Mike. Yeah. over to the event, and he leaves the bottles in his car. So when we get there, everybody say, hey, where's your hot sauce? People are asking for the hot sauce. Where's your hot sauce, Stacy? I want to change your hot sauce. <laughs> oh, you gotta go talk to that guy
2: over oh, there. Whispers. It, whisper strikes again. Yeah. Wow. You know, every guest that appears on the Gimme the Hot Sauce podcast is sent a four pack of Stacy's delicious organic sauces, and that includes our next guest, Jeff Perlman. Jeff, you a fan of hot sauce?
4: Not gonna lie, I was confused by what I walked into right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we kind of set you up for that. <laughs> Look, if 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 listening to that for a minute and a half gets me free hot sauce, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah.
2: Stacey's got four varieties, so we'll get you that uh, packed up and, and sent out to you. I know you've had already a really stressful day. You, your your daughter had some car trouble, and you had to jump in as a heroic dad and take
4: care of it, right? I did, and. Not joking. Six hundred dollars later, which doesn't for you know doesn't sound that bad for car trouble with six hundred dollars right. less. Here I am, and you know I, it was a bad day. Six hundred dollars, but I would have paid six hundred bucks for some hot sauce. So there you no. Oh, hey, it's a bargain well, at any yeah, price. Right, it's Stacey? a bargain. Oh yeah, yeah.
1: We definitely, we definitely
2: would not turn our collar down on that one, baby. Well, let's give you a proper introduction. Best selling author, your book Showtime is uh, the basis for the hbo max series winning time which i know that a lot of our fans are really enjoying watching that show it is so much fun to watch jeff and take us through what the process is like in getting a book adapted
4: to to the hbo format i mean it's a very long arduous not that exciting thing to go through um the book came out in 2014 and around that time a uh, writer named um, jim hecht Whose credit was uh, Ice Age Two? That was his big credit. Okay. Came to my house because he said he loved, he loved Showtime and blah 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 and blah blah. So not joking actually. Easter Sunday, 2014. Two Jewish guys. He comes to my house. I'm having family dinner. He shows up. My wife says, "Who the hell is this guy?" I'm like, "It's Jim Hecht. He wrote <laughs> Ice Age 2. <II. laughs> and um, she's like, "Okay." And he comes in and he's very very chivalrous and very very nice. And he shows up with three. I'm not joking. Easter 2014 Jewish family dinner. Jim Heck shows up with a block of a block of baker's chocolate in saran wrap, a very large tomato, and a bottle of imitation wine drink. And that is what he used inexplicably to woo me to do um to give him the rights. And I gave him the rights to the book. And for years and years, oh, it's gonna be good. And I was like, okay. He's like, it's gonna be good. Okay. Every now and then it'd be like Will Smith, all right. And Five years ago, four years ago, he says, Um, Adam McKay wants you to wants us to come to his house. And I said, Oh, that's cool. And um, I got off the phone and Googled Adam McKay because I'd never heard of Adam McKay. And he's done all these movies and TV. I didn't know anything. And we go to his house and he's like, I like the book. And I just never believed it would happen. Like I never believed it would happen. And then one day I start seeing Adrian Brody cast as Pat Riley, John C. Riley cast as Jerry Bus. Sally Field was a big one. Sally yeah. Field, yes. Rob Morgan and on and on and on all of a sudden i'm i'm this season I'm, i played jeff a reporter in an episode of winning time based on my show showtime it's been the craziest thing ever long story short
1: wow okay so i love the show I, and being in the nba you know i i know some of the the intricacies of of what goes on behind the scenes and one of the things that that really surprised me is like you know uh jerry west you know coming out saying you know this is not true uh you know this is not how i was and cuz it, 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 jerry west looks like a, a insane guy on the show <laughs> he just looks like he's like a, a just going to pull out a chainsaw and kill somebody but when you wrote your book did they when it came out did did you get the same kind of feeling that they're doing with the show like they they come to you and say hey that i didn't like what you said about me in the book that wasn't me blah 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 did you get that same kind of feel that they're getting on the show from some of these guys
4: I didn't. And um, it's funny, the, the book was very well received. I'm not just saying that, like, it was really well received. And um, Jeannie Buss, the Lakers, they all liked the book. And it wasn't like a kiss ass to the Lakers, but it was, you know, fairly reported and whatever. And um, I think what happens is a TV show comes out. It's not a documentary, it's a dramatic series, important words based on true events, which means they take stretches, they take elongations, they do, you know, They do that. That's what it is. And I've always said to the writers on the show, I get it. Like, I get you're Jerry West. You're watching the show. You're like, that, you know, I don't, that, that, I don't, that's not how I would depict myself. I don't really like it that way. And the thing I always think is like, Jerry West wrote an autobiography. It's a great, great book. Jerry West's autobiography is one of the best sports books ever written. And in it, he talks about his own sort of manic behavior and his own insecurities and snapping a golf club over, you know, all that stuff. So, I don't really understand his complaint because he's one of two uh figures that I've ever covered, executives in sports, who can't watch their own team play. Him and Billy Bean are the two of the open A's, could not watch their teams play. So I never heard it with the book. I definitely hear it with the TV show. I understand where they are coming from, but I also think the the show, I think Stacey would agree. Like overall, it's an homage to the 80s Lakers.
1: Yes.
2: Yeah, and, and reading Jerry West's book, I mean, he he is so raw in that thing, just talking about, you know, he, he basically was always depressed. The losses to the Celtics took such a toll on him. He always felt like he could never really be successful, even with all the many things that he accomplished in his life. Uh, you know, the, the basketball scenes, I'm sure, are difficult because... I don't know if you guys ever tried to look into let the NBA use some actual footage, but you know, you see the actor who's portraying Jerry West, obviously he doesn't look like a basketball player. And some of the, some of the guys you see on the court, I remember (laughs) the guy playing Dr. J didn't look like Dr. J obviously, but, but you know, that's not the key to the story the story is is so fascinating the the interaction you know with with jerry bus and his family and and magic johnson you know i don't i don't think the basketball is the important part And some people get too
4: hung up on things like that okay i would say two things number one i think i disagree with you slightly okay i think the basketball the show is really good like i really do i think the basketball is really good and a a ton of it is division 1 former division 1 players former euroball players uh playing the you know doing most of the action right um the guy who plays Kareem Solomon Hughes, he was a starting center at Cal so he's legit yeah, yeah. Uh, Sean Patrick small who plays Larry Bird is a really good basketball player some of the guys you know Quincy was Quincy who plays Magic was a college football player Austin uh who played Mark Landsberger played wide receiver at Cal like there are athletes there I've never said this before in an interview but I feel there's enough distance now I don't know why they cast a 754-year-old man to play Dr. J. I thought yeah, there was that a was yeah, that was puzzling. Yeah. Uh, that was a little curious. I <laughs> yeah. didn't really get that one. But I do think overall, I mean, look, anyone, you guys, we're all in the same age bracket. We probably all survived watching Teen Wolf in the nineteen eighties and seeing Michael J out <laughs> <laughs> a ball basketball. Like I think it's pretty high level. I honestly do. I, I think the sports is pretty high level considering how hard it is to capture that kind of thing. You know?
1: Yeah. I- Listen, uh, the only the only thing the only person I would say that I because I played for Pat Riley in Miami yeah. is that yeah. I didn't think I think Adrian Brody is a great actor. But I, I didn't think he was a Pat Riley guy because he just doesn't when you see him, Pat is a strong like a strong and, and he's got this ego about him. And he's maybe maybe pre Lakers. He was kind of weakish, <laughs> like you know, like he was in the in the in the winning time. But I know the Pat Riley I played for in Miami that came from, you know, New York. He was, I mean, he was a he was a
4: beast. Like that guy. Right, is... But did you see? I have to say, I was with you at first when um when they cast Adrian Brody, I was like, I don't know. And now I'm kind of all in. And this is not because I'm involved in the show. I would just say nothing if I didn't feel this way. Um the scene in episode five, which is two episodes ago, when he sort of becomes Pat Riley and he's he slams his fist into the board. Yeah, the board. And he's like Cooper, you you know blah blah blah. You think you're a star? You are not. You know. And he goes around guy to yeah. guy. For me personally, and I've been saying this, I think it's one of the greatest scenes I've. Ever, I had nothing to do with it. I think it's one of the best freaking scenes I've ever seen on TV. Certainly in sports TV. It's kind of a rival of Riley, and the Riley you played for wasn't the early Riley, who was a kind yeah. of a, a, a little bit of a, a quiet assistant under Paul Westhead, a rejected announcer, didn't know what to do. Like he evolved that. And I almost feel like in a lot of ways, it's like watching the rise of Darth Vader. Yeah. Not Pat Riley is Darth Vader, but this rise of this main character. So I don't know. I hear what you're saying, but I do, I do think they've done the rise of Riley pretty freaking well.
1: I, I will agree with you because when he hit that, that board and you know, in the locker room,
4: that was Pat
1: Riley, Pat, yeah. that, that was Pat Riley. Cause Pat Riley challenged players, you know, in Miami, he challenged players in New York. And you know, he, that when I saw that, I go, okay, That's Because I didn't know Pat Riley before that. I've only known Pat Riley since, you know, when I was a kid watching him do Showtime, had the slick back hair. And I thought when they they, they brought Adrian Brody to, you know, slick back his hair, that's when he started to evolve as Pat Riley. But in the beginning, because I had never saw him when he was the failed announcer and he was the guy, you know, they made him look like he was really soft. I'm like, that's not Pat Riley. That's not the Pat Riley I know. But then I started seeing how it all was going to evolve later. The
0: power of yep. Armani.
4: The power of Armani. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs>
0: Whispers.
2: That's right. You got a question?
0: I got a lot of them. Um, right. So <laughs> so one of the things is that you guys are already touching on this, the inaccuracy stuff, and you got like Bob Ryan saying he needs a barf bucket to watch it. It's the Celtic stuff. But some of the ones that people ask about is uh, did Larry Bird actually do a tryout in his jeans and flannel shirt and boots? And um, yeah, some yes. of those conflicts with Kareem. Hey, can you talk a little bit about that, the uh, –
4: yeah. Larry Well, first of all, first of all, I do want to say I and I do think it's actually weird. Like it's weird to be in my position, which is a great position to be in. I'm not complaining. But like, probably like you guys, if you work in sports, you're not good, you're not a great audience for like sports movies. The actual best example I use is Moneyball. Like I was covering, I was a baseball writer at Sports Illustrated during the Moneyball days. So when I watched Moneyball and I and they're like, the key to the A's was S- Scott Hatterberg i'm right. like really because they had- <laughs> i remember they had three cy young war candidates eric chavez at third and miguel Tejada at short like i don't quite remember scott had ever so i'm like i'm not good at that i watched 42 the jackie robinson movie yep. i'm like oh my god they disneyfied this really gripping story so i have had to make this adjustment myself i truly have where i've had to let go because it is not again it's not a documentary it's based on the book it's not the book so like episode one was my first real lesson they had uh Magic and Norm Nixon go to a white party. Everyone's wearing white at this party and they play one on one and Norm steps over him and that didn't happen. So I I didn't like that. Like I hated that at first. And then you're like, look, man, Michael Chiklis, who played Jack McKinney and he's a really well-known playwright, said to me, he's like, real life is boring. If we were really portraying these guys in real lifetime, it'd be he drives his Chevy to the dealership and he gets his tire changed and then he shakes hands like you have to accentuate and augment. Um, So the uh, the Kareem stuff, I mean, it's pretty true. He was a pain in the ass. He was difficult. Stacey, I don't know if you ever dealt with Kareem Abdul Jabbar. He's not a picnic. Yeah. He's kind of, um, Magic, as you noted, he liked to have sex with a lot of women. I yes. think we undersold that of anything. Um, I think we probably were a little hard. This has been my, my one complaint on Paul Westhead. I think Paul Westhead yeah. was a better coach, and we kind of make him out to be. He was. Also, he was.
1: Paul Westhead could coach. Yeah, he could out. coach. Yeah because I, uh-huh. I, I remember Paul Westhead at uh Loyola Marymount. and, yeah. and, and he they had that it. running gun style of play where they were scoring 140, 150 points a game. So when yeah. they showed him in the move in the in the show, I was like,
4: Man, like yeah. he's a history teacher. He's like, you but know, he was though. Yeah, he but- was. He actually, wait, He came out of LaSalle and he was really like the accidental tourist. I will say, like, Jack McKinney hired him to be his assistant because McKinney was at St. Joe's. Paul Westhead was at LaSalle, they coached against each other. McKinney gets a job out here. He needs an assistant. Westhead knows the system. He hires him. But I do think like they make him a little like, I don't know. Yeah. I actually. Oh, shucks. Yeah. Right. Oh, shucks. But that's cool. You know, it is what it is. There was one example you mentioned that I don't remember what it was that I wanted to address, but what was the one you decided? Oh,
0: Larry and the uh, tryout with the jeans and flannel. Oh, Oh. happened. (laughs) All right.
4: Stacey okay, so almost went down. Someone,
0: Someone, shot. Someone shot the president.
4: <laughs> if, uh, I just want to say, if anyone goes down, I'm taking all the hot sauce. Oh, <laughs> you can have it. No, Bird did. That is that is a true 100% story. True, Bird shows up at Indiana State. Coach is trying to get him there. He's wearing jeans and boots. Jeans and, uh, yeah, work boots. And the coach offers him, like, you want to wear shorts? He's like, nah, I'm good. And he just lights up the gym. That's a true story. <laughs>
1: That is, I, I believe it. I believe it. Larry, Larry Bird, Larry. Bird, I keep telling people, Larry Bird was the biggest trash talker in the NBA. And some of these kids who don't really know Larry Bird who say, oh, Larry Bird, he, I'd give him 50 or he wouldn't be able to score on me. Yeah, what, yeah okay. Ridiculous.
4: Oh, okay. Okay, whatever. Then you woke wait, up. Wait, Stacey, I want to say something. I'm being serious about this because this has been my talking point throughout this. I think everything about Larry Bird is so nonsense. When they're like, Larry Bird wasn't a good athlete. Like, I get he wasn't Dominique Wilkins, he certainly wasn't a bad athlete. Like, you can't yeah. say Larry Bird was a bad athlete. And the other thing, people will look at him. They see this, like, obviously, he's a doughy white guy from 1983. And they're like, that guy couldn't play in today's NBA. I'm like, what are you talking about? Exactly. Dumb- <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I was a killer. Yeah.
1: And, and in winning time, the way he, the, his attitude in winning time was, was to me, I thought it was real because the way he, he kind of talked trash and the way he you know, basically imposed his will in that show. That's how he was in real life. I mean, he yeah. he's going to tell you what he's going to do. We were talking about it the other day when he told the Portland Trailblazers that I'm going to score, you know, I'm going to score all these points with my left hand, you know, and uh, he scores like 40-something points and he scores like half his points with his left hand. There's nobody in this league today that could go out and say, I'm going to score I'm going to score 20, 30 points with my left hand. There's nobody in the league that can do that right now. And they, 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 Larry, There's some of the things that Larry Bird did was just
4: unbelievable. Michael Cooper told me when I was researching the book, he's like, Bird would literally go up to him and be like, all right, listen here. I'm going to catch the ball on the elbow. I'm going to dribble twice with my left hand. I'm going to switch <laughs> over to my right. I'm going to bank it. And then they would just be, you'd just be jogging. After doing it, they jogged back down to court and Bird would just whisper to Cooper, I told you, man. I told you. I yeah, told you, you can't guard me. You can't
1: guard me. I told yeah, you. <laughs> I, I tell, I tell the story about him. I mean, people think that he he just he was just like this non-athletic dude. Man, he he he'll talk trashy before he even takes the shot. I was guarding him at the three-point line in my rookie year, and Phil told me to get up on him, and I was I had both feet on the three-point line. He was a break like by the hash mark, and he says, "Hey," he said, uh, "You gonna give me this shot?" You better get up on me. I said, man, take that shot. You ain't no way in the world you're going to make this shot. He said, you know, if I make this shot, you're going to get taken out of the game. And this is, and it seemed like it was a conversation going for like two minutes, but it was like a 10, 15-second conversation. Phil Jackson's like, get up on him. Don't give him that shot. He'll make it. And I'm like, I'm above the three-point line, and I'm just waving Phil off. Like, shut the hell up. I got him. There's no way in the world he's going to take this shot. Plus, it was at the end of his career where his back was bad. So he goes, you know, if I make this shot, rookie out the game. So all of a sudden, it's the shot clock's winding down. We're in the Boston Garden. He raises up and shoots it over an extended hand from like 35 feet. Bam! And then you hear the guy go, Larry Bird for free! <laughs> and the whole Boston Garden goes crazy, Jeff. We go back down the court. I'm over there shaking my head like I cannot believe he just hit this shot. We're going back down the floor. The horn goes, and I look over to the side. Scottie Pippen's getting ready to come in to get me. So as I'm getting ready to go out, I'm like, damn it. And he goes, hey, Rook, I told you if I hit this shot, you was going to go, go out of the game. So you going to go sit your ass down. So then I'm walking over to the bench. Phil Jackson's yelling at me like, a, like, like he's my dad. I told you to get up on him. And I'm like, Phil, I was up on him. He was almost at half court. Just sit down. Just sit down. So Larry comes back to the corner where I'm sitting at. They're getting ready to run a play on the opposite side. He runs back over to my side. He said, hey, Rook, he said, I told you if I hit that shot, you're going to sit out. He said, but don't feel bad. I do your boy Pip like that all the time. <laughs> and this is all, like, I mean, seriously, I mean, he talks so much trash. And even with a bad back, like even when he, at the end of his career, when he couldn't even sit on the bench, he had to lay on the floor with, uh, with the heat packs, um, he still talked trash. Unbelievable player. And actually a nice guy. Like, yeah, not he a is bad guy. Very yeah. cool
2: dude. Yeah, yeah. You know, Jeff, the show was so much fun. I love some of the scenes where, you know, the characters will kind of let you in, they'll d- look directly at the camera and go, watch what happens now, you know? It's, it's so well done, the show's so well produced, and I guess that leads me to my next point is, how do we get a season three? I know you've been on a, on a one-man crusade doing tons of media, trying to make sure that there is a season three of Winning Time. Uh, has, the, has the writer's strike been an influence, or is it just the fact that HBO, going to this new branding, they've kind of, kind of lost their audiences?
4: it uh it's a lot of things i mean uh i've been happy to see uh last week Jeannie bus yeah started tweeting about the show and raving about the show which i love Jeannie. um i think the show is when it started coming along strained our relationship a little bit because we always had a good relationship but she really likes the show and i think she really loves the way john c riley plays her dad so it's certainly helpful snoop dog's been tweeting about the show and doing instagram posts about the show but I mean, I'm a TV outsider. Like, I'm still a TV outsider, but it does seem like nowadays, it just so much of it is based on we pro just being honest. We we promised our shareholders this percentage. Yeah, and we're only giving them this percentage. So, blah blah blah. How are we gonna? And it is an expensive show. There's no doubt about it. Its ratings are really good. They could be better. No doubt about it. We need people to watch it. I mean, I don't. I don't know. I. You know, the season ends in 1984, season two, and you can look it up in two seconds. The Celtics win the title in 1984. And I hate the idea of this show going out with the Celtics winning the title. And I I will say one other thing about this show that I mean deeply, and this comes from having experience now being involved in this. If you look at Hollywood and you look at the history of Hollywood, the depictions, particularly of black men, is not very good. And it's a lot of like, we're gonna make them drug dealers. We're gonna make them idiots. We're gonna make them thugs. We're gonna make them dads who don't show up. And you know, there's somewhat the blind side. We're gonna have the white saviors who take care of the bumbling black idiot. You know, like that is yeah. what Hollywood has done through the years. And here's a show. It's not just Magic and it's not just Kareem. It's Magic's dad played by Rob Morgan. It's Magic's agent. It's Wood Harris coming in as Spencer Haywood. It's like, there's so many roles that are like strong, impressive black men, black women. And I just think there's something important about that. I really do, because especially in light of everything that's come out with with Blindside lately. Yeah. The whole white savior nonsense of Hollywood, that this show is really, to me, maybe I'm biased. I am biased, because it's my show. But I just feel like it's really special and it's really special to me, so. Talk a little bit about The Boys Will Be Boys, the Dallas Cowboys book you
1: wrote. I I thought that was like a magical time, because I grew up in Oklahoma and I always grew up a Cowboys fan. And then when they were able to, you know, kind of turn it around and get back on track of winning again, that transition from Tom Landry to Jimmy Johnson. So talk a little bit about you writing that book and some of the things that you you discovered while you were
4: doing that. Oh man! So that book, uh, that was my third book. That was an, it's interesting. That was my third book. My first book was about the '86 Mets, mm-hmm. made the New York Times bestseller list. My second book was about Barry Bonds. Did not sell well at all. And it comes back with this book I'm going to do about the Dallas Cowboys in the 1990s. And the moment, one of the moments I knew I had a really good book is the Cowboys back then, this is toward the end of the dynasty after Switzer took over from Jimmy. Yeah. And they had a, they had an offensive lineman named Everett McIver. And one day, Everett McIver goes in, he was a, maybe a rookie or first year player, but he, he sits, they had a barber who would come every week or whatever to training camp. And Everett McIver sits in the chair and it's Michael Irvin's turn. And Michael Irvin's like, get out of the chair. And Everett McIver's like, I'm just getting my haircut. He's like, get out of the chair. Everett McIver won't get out of the chair. Michael Irvin picks up a pair of scissors and stabs Everett McIver in oh. the neck. Oh, with scissors. Oh, while Michael Irvin was already on probation, and the whole thing was buried, and like the Cowboys made sure it never got out. But like, Michael Irvin was out of his mind. And I I don't think I've ever written about a player quite like Michael Irvin actually. Who, um, he was truly in every sense of the word, the heart of the Dallas Cowboys. He a motive leader. You know, it wasn't Aikman, it wasn't Emmett, it was Michael Irvin. Like, he played his ass, busted his ass, played as hard as he could be. At the same time, had drug issues, had control issues, you know, women everywhere, the whole thing. And he was just so fascinating. And the other thing I love is like, they literally had a place called the White House in <laughs> suburbia where Nate Newton once described it. I'm not going to do the quote justice, but he's like, someone asked him about it. And he's like, I don't see what the big deal is. We got some hoes, we got some blunts, we got a house. Why is that so bad? You know, like, <laughs> it was so, like, 90s cowboys, and they were so fun to write about, like, so fun to write about. And um, it was one of my favorite book projects, one of my best-selling books, too. So, you know, that's
2: probably shows. At the other end of the spectrum, uh, you wrote a book about uh, one of the most universally beloved athletes in the Chicago area, Walter Payton, called Sweetness. What, what was your overall observation after researching that book
4: so the inspiration for that book is interesting i was at sports illustrated in 1999 and i was coming up at the time i was as a young writer and an editor said do you want to go to chicago or outside of chicago i forgot what town he was in um walter payton is trying to wear raise awareness uh for i think it was bio duct cancer whatever it was at the time that he was dying of and you know, the chance I was 26 or 27 to go meet Walter Payton. You're obviously, I'm a kid of the eighties. You're going to take it. And you're a young writer and you're hungry. And I fly out there. And I remember like, he greeted me at his office and I didn't know it was him. I thought it was an old guy working for him. That's how diminished he was. Mm, yeah. He was wearing like a, a taxi driver's cap and his eyes were jaundiced yellow. And it was a really haunting and sad experience. He sat behind a desk and I interviewed him about dying. I interviewed Walter Payton about dying. And I decided to do that book. It's funny because, um, it was a nightmarish book release because the book came out and at the time, this is really pre-internet as a huge thing, um, Sports Illustrated ran an excerpt on the cover of the book. I literally have it hanging up on my wall here. It said, uh, Walter Payton, uh, the hero nobody knew. And the excerpt, which is just a sliver of the book that came out in the magazine, was all about sort of Walter Payton at the end of his life, infidelity, depression, some drug abuse, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And the excerpt comes out and the book is not out no one's seen the book and it got really bad in chicago like who is mm, this guy he yeah. is uh, i was getting threats there was a book burning when the book came out my i was going to go to chicago and promote it i did not do that because they honestly feared for my safety and what happened is people came around and actually read the book and i remember like emory moorhead the old bears tied in yeah uh emailing me and saying Hey man, I whatever. I owe you an apology. I I didn't know what this was, you know, and uh, I'm really sorry. And that happened over time, but it was a, it was not a fun book release by any stretch of the imagination. Wow.
1: Wow. Have you ever have you ever thought about doing a Chicago Bulls
4: book, story? I think it would be great. The problem is there've been 8,000 Chicago Bulls books <laughs> done. And the truth of the matter is like okay, it's one thing if like and this is no disrespect to anyone, but like The local whatever writer does a book on a season with the Bulls, right? But like David Halberstam wrote a book about the Chicago Bulls. And David Halberstam is one of the great writers of all time. And then obviously the documentary comes out. And I just don't know how much oxygen is left in that story to tell. You know, I just don't know. Maybe... Stacey King is going to tell me otherwise and talk, believe talk you. to <laughs> Pip
2: he's got a lot to say <laughs> <laughs> we had Pip on the show and then he is so bitter he's got a lot to say
4: it's <laughs> right yeah it's uh I don't I don't I don't totally I don't know yeah it's weird I don't know yeah. you know better do. Hey,
2: before we let you go, you got to tell a story about Bo Jackson trying to keep you out of doing a promotional tour in Alabama. I mean, I covered Bo a little bit when he played for the White Sox near the end of his career, and 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 you told a story in your Substack about you invited him to be part of the book, and he politely declined, and then he then he kind of went uh, antagonistic and tried to prevent you from doing your trade.
4: Yeah, he put the "ass" in antagonistic. I <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. I'm. Like you guys, I'm sure, I was an enormous Bo Jackson fan and am an enormous Bo Jackson. I literally have sitting here on my wall, literally in front of me, Bo Jackson's freshman media guide bio from Auburn. I am a huge Bo Jackson guy. This book was a complete labor of love. When I spoke to Bo Jackson on the phone at the beginning of the process, he wasn't going to help me, but he was cool about it. Like he was, hey, I totally, whatever, it's fine. You know, I don't have a problem with you doing it. People ask me to talk all the time, however, and, um, you know, blah, 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 blah. So. I do a bunch of book. The book comes out and it gets really good reviews. It's not like it's out, got good reviews. Some books do, some don't. This book got really good reviews. And I decided I want to do some book signings in Alabama. COVID has been a real drag. It's a chance to actually contact with people again and feel human. And I arranged a bunch of book signings in Alabama. And early on, one of the bookstore owners said something weird happened. I don't know if it's legit. She said someone identifying himself as Bo Jackson called the store and demanded that we not we not let you speak. And at first I was like, uh, that's probably not him. And then I was thinking, it probably is him. <laughs> <laughs> then a different bookstore owner, I ran that story by that person. He's like, oh yeah, he called us too, That's exactly what he said. It was him, blah, 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 blah. And to be honest with you, I found it really disheartening because like, okay, I could write a book about Stacey King and the Bulls, and Stacey King is like, I hated that book, that sucks. You put on Twitter, I don't think anyone should read this book. Calling bookstores and saying you should not allow an author to appear, it crosses a weird line, sort of in America, about like just free speech. Yeah. And people be heard. And he could have showed up at the book signing and been like, hey, don't believe anything this guy says. All right, that's fair. I just think it's weird to call and and also not for nothing. These were not Barnes and Nobles. These were like Mindy's books and muffins in Dotham, Alabama. <laughs> like they were like, I'm sure Mindy was like, uh, "I just want to sell muffins," you know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so it was a bit of a bummer, you know. What was, what was
1: of, his I, problem, though, Jeff? What was his problem about the book? Why was he so like you know so anti? I
4: okay, I don't know for sure. One thing I was told is, um, I heard his wife was not happy, which I understand. So basically, when Bo was at Auburn, there was a brief period of time where he was he was kind of engaged to his wife, but also sort of kind of engaged to another woman at the same time. It's this weird sort of thing, and to me. It wasn't that big of a deal. Like he was twenty-one years old, right? We all do stupid things when we're twenty-one years old. We just do. We're, we're 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 dumb when we're that age, and we all do things. And I wrote about it, and I interviewed his girlfriend in college, who was lovely and awesome, and didn't have anything bad to say about Bo. It's just like we were engaged, and this and that. But I heard his wife was not thrilled by that, and um, I get it. Like I like just like Jerry West looking at the show and being like, uh, like I get it. Some guy comes along, and I also get like you're Bo Jackson. Some author comes along and he's like, hey, I'm going to write your story. And Bo Jackson probably thinks, okay, yeah, all right, fine. And he probably thinks I'm going to call his high school coach, his college coach, George Brett and Howie Long, right? But like when you're a biographer, you call everybody. So all of a sudden you're Bo Jackson and you're home. And like, this is just a brand like your dentist is calling you and saying like, this guy, Jeff Perelman called me and he wanted to know what your molars are like. You know, like yeah. that didn't happen, but like that kind of thing. And all of a sudden, you're like, "Whoa! This isn't exactly what I thought it was." I understand that 100. I truly do.
0: Oh, so, who's the worst? Uh, will Clark, Rocker? Um, who's who's oh. the worst on your list? Oh, you saw with?
4: I put that up there. <laughs> all right, the worst all time has to be John Rocker because he's just a racist pile of crap, right? But I will say, like my experience with Will Clark, basically, I don't know. Do you guys remember the John Rocker story? Yeah, I do. Yeah, 1999, racist mm-hmm. baseball player. The following spring. I'm still a baseball writer at Sports Illustrated. I'm getting recognized more than ever, but not in a good way at all. You know, and baseball is very conservative. Like the Major League Clubhouse, it's basically a polar opposite of the NBA. It's very conservative. And I'm in the Orioles Clubhouse and I'm milling around waiting for like their catcher, Charles Johnson. And Will Clark sees me. I have my name tag on. And Will Clark goes, uh, he had a high pitch cackle. He's like, you Jeff Perlman? I'm like, yeah. He's like, you wrote that rocker story? I'm like, yeah. And he yells, he's like, why the F would anybody, anybody in this clubhouse talk to you? Why are you even in this clubhouse? Why would we, hey guys, see this guy here, blah, 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 blah. It was truly one of the most embarrassing, humiliating, like I was like 28 years old. And you know, like nowadays, if someone did that to me in a clubhouse, I'd be like, go, go F yourself. Like, I don't, I don't need to take this from you. I'm doing my job, but I did not have the confidence or anything. And it was, it was, it sucked. It sucked. Wow. Well,
2: Jeff, we really appreciate you being so generous with your time and telling us some great stories about your books. Uh, make sure to check those out, and of course, the season finale, season two of Winning Time, comes up on Sunday. It runs on HBO Max, but you don't have to watch it on Sunday. You can stream it on demand anytime you want. We want to build up the numbers so that we get a season three because it's been so entertaining to watch, so much fun, and truly, you know, like you said, it's 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 different from what you see in most sports series. It's uh, it's got a lot of humor in it. It's just a, just a great time. it's a great well, it's, watch.
1: it's cool to it's cool to get the you know the perspective from Jeff because he wrote you know yeah, he, wrote he wrote the, the story. Yeah. So it's really cool to 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 get his perspective on how he how he wrote the book and what it's the difference between the two.
2: And so when you get that package from Christopher Walken, it, it will be hot sauce, no explosive or anything like that. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> I,
4: just, I want to throw this by you guys real quick while I'm here. Yeah, I feel like after winning time, the next show should be just tell me your just randomly. What do you think of the uh, the nineteen ninety four ninety five Minnesota Timberwolves? We got Stacey King. Oh got, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Wiener. Was J.R. Ryder there? Me, I'm gonna tell you, L- hey time. Jeff,
1: Jeff, it'd be losing time. <laughs> it won't be winning time, maybe losing time. But it I would mean, be it would be a great story because we had J.R. Ryder and some of the things that were going on behind the scenes.
4: Oh lot. <laughs> can you guys allow me to tell my J.R. Ryder yeah, story? Absolutely. This is one of my best moments of my career and terrifying. <laughs> and Stacy, you played with J.R. Yep. No, he He's a few nickels short of the dollar. yeah so, uh, exactly. <laughs> I was working on a book called uh, Three Ring Circus about Shaq and Kobe. And I had, a, <laughs> I had an address for J.R. Ryder, but I did not have a phone number. And he lives in Arizona, and I was going to be in Arizona. And I was like, I'm just going to drive to J.R. Ryder's house and knock on the door. A friend of mine goes to me, a friend of mine who's black says, you just show up and knock on a black man's door at nine in the morning. Are you crazy? And I was like, <laughs> he's like, you do not do that. And I was like, I don't know. I just, you know, I'm a reporter. This is what I do, right? And I knocked on doors of all different. Okay. I show up at Jared Rider's house. I'm armed with one of my books. I'm literally holding my USFL book with me. I knock. I ring the doorbell. Kid answers. Can I help you? I'm like, hey, my name's Jeff Perlman. Working on a book about, you know, I'm here to talk to Jared. Rider. He goes, hold on. Closes the door. Woman comes at the door. Can I help you? Hey, my name's Jeff Perlman. Here to see Jr. Ryder. I'm working a book. Hold on one second. Closes the door. I hear the woman and the guy start screaming at each other. Who's at Who's at the door? Blah 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 blah. And I'm sitting there thinking, Oh no. So <laughs> the door opens and there's Jr. Ryder, and he goes, "Who are you?" And I said, "Hey, my name's Jeff Perlman. I'm a writer, and I'm working on a book, and I want to talk to you." And he goes, "Nah, man. Nah, nah. You just show up. You just you just show up here. You just you you haven't show up in my house. You show up in my house." And Jared Ryder's like puff, and he's like, "You just show, you show up here at my house, nah, man. You just knock on my door. You effing kidding me? You just knock on my door." <laughs> he opens the screen door. He comes out. Man, you just, you just show up. You just show up at my house. What's that book you got? Oh, it's a, it's a book I wrote. He's like, uh, you just show. up. What's the book about? I'm like, well, it's a book I wrote about the USFL. It's an old football league. He goes, uh, is that, a, is that the Trump? Is that the Trump League? <laughs> I go, I go, yeah. I go, yeah. He goes, bro, you don't just show up at someone's house. That is so effed up. You don't just, I'll talk to you. I mean, I'll talk to you. You don't just show up here. You don't just show up. <laughs> he gave me two hours. I thought, oh my gosh. Go, but he gave me two hours and he was a delight. JR Ryder is one of the most, if you get him going, that guy is no dummy. At no, all. He's, he's not. Sharp as attack. He's just crazy. Yeah, he can never. He can never. He's never on
1: time to anything. He's never on time. In in Minnesota, they did this when I when I first got traded there, because he's always late to the plane. He's late to the games. I mean, so one time a radio station got this huge clock. Like I don't know how they got this big alarm clock that was huge, like six feet tall with the, the double bales or the thing it hits it. Bing 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 bing. They put it outside his house because they knew he was going to be late. And so they put it outside his house, and then called, and then said, "Hey, you know, there's an emergency fire." Da da da. He comes running out. This alarm goes off. Boom! And he literally, his boys pulled guns, like they were they <laughs> like they were going to shoot the people. And it was the craziest thing. And it was in the news. It was on the news the next day. Yeah. He got into a fight at the Mall of America on his birthday. Drop kicked a, a security guard. Uh, he, he, he was crazy. Yeah, he, he was, but he was highly intelligent though. Highly
4: intelligent I, and a great basketball and, player. I think one of the great talents of your generation who people don't realize, I'm not saying he was Kobe, but he was not that far away. Talent, just pure yes. talent. Yes. And they disagree from that level of No, attitude. no. I
1: mean, I played with the kid. I mean, I, I, I thought he was, he could score at all different levels. I just think if he would have been on a team with with a veteran team that was winning, where he could like, play with a, a Clyde Drexler or Michael Jordan or Scottie Pippen or someone like that, have those kind of veterans when he first came in, I think yeah. he would be really good because he, you know, he was he was with Christian Leitner. and Christian Leitner, I don't know what kind of player how his personality was at Duke, but he was an asshole in 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 the pros. I'm being honest, yeah. he was a jerk.
4: I think he still and, is.
1: Yeah, no, and nobody liked him. None of, none of the teammates liked him. I mean, he isolated himself, and he was always with Jr. And I tell you what, man, they, whew, boy, I tell you what, this is a this is an era now where you know weed's legal.
4: But back then, boy, whew, oh, <laughs> they. Whew, I like- I like this idea of, like, Stacey King. He's like, oh, I played for the Bulls. Everything's great. Showing up, and all of a sudden, Leitner and J.R. Ryder are his go-to oh, guys.
1: Listen, let me tell you something. There was many nights, Jeff, when I, I'd, be scoring, I'd be scoring big bigs. I got to shoot there. So there'd be yeah. many nights of guys would tell me, uh-huh, yeah, you went from the penthouse to the outhouse. Now, where's Black Jesus now? Because, you know, <laughs> they always called Michael Black Jesus. You ain't got Black Jesus with you tonight. And we, I mean, I could score 25. We lose by 25.
4: You know, you it had, wasn't no fun. You went from... You went from black Jesus in Jordan to in Leighton white douchebag. Oh, man, <laughs>
1: man, I'm telling you. I mean, he might have changed. He might have changed over the years now that he's gotten older. Yeah, right. But, you know, as a teammate, boy, he was. Well, I tell you what, he cursed at the coaches. I remember my first game in Golden State. We were playing up in Golden State and they had ran a play for someone who scored like two, three straight times. And then Sidney Lowe, who was the coach, said, all right, we're going to keep running that play. They can't stop it. And then Christian Leighton said, no, we're not running that play anymore. Run my play. And I looked over and I'm like, did the players run the team? Or who's the th-? I mean, he literally told Sydney, you're going to run this play. And Sydney ran that play for him. After <laughs> a guy who had scored two or three buckets in a row had it going, and most teams normally keep going to that guy until he says, I'm tired or he misses a shot. Christian later was like, oh, no, we're not running that play. We're not running anymore. Run my play. I was yeah. like, "Wow!" I said, "Man, I had never heard Michael Jordan say that. I never heard any you know any bull player ever say that." You
2: know, if we if guy was going, we just knew he was going. We kept going to him. I'll tell you what: from Black Jesus to White Douchebag. You know, if you write, <laughs> if you do write that book, Jeff. That's got to be on the uh, jacket on the outside, all right.
4: Just want to say also, lastly, that um, I see Stacy's wearing a White Sox hat. I'm wearing a Pittsburgh Pirates right. hat. I feel like if we want to go to a Sox Pirates game, you and I would occupy the entire stadium. We'd be the only two people watching that game. <laughs> yeah, this is true.
1: This is true. Yeah. This is true, Jeff. Jeff, this—I'll tell you, this is awesome this having is you blast. on, man.
2: Yeah, Stacy has a different hat for every episode, so don't read too much into it. So. What do I. Actually,
1: yeah. Nice. Yeah, I'm a hat guy. I'm a, especially the old time hats. I like. I got. I keep the old time hats. Like I got, I like I got a, a Montreal Expos hat, the red, white, and blue. What do I? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yes, they, yeah. Those are sweet, man. All the old timer hats are really cool.
2: I agree. I'm Jeff, waiting. it was so much fun uh, visiting with you. Again, we want to, My We will continue to bang the drums and uh, blow the trumpets for winning time and hopefully gets picked up for a third season at HBO Max. We encourage everybody to watch it. One of the best shows out there right now.
4: Uh, thank you guys so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thanks, thank Jeff. you, Jeff.
2: What? Jeff Perlman, our guest on Give Me the Hot Sauce. We'll talk a little bit of college football when we come back. Back on Give Me the Hot Sauce. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Jeff Perlman. We certainly did. Uh, Check out his list of books that he's written. He's written 10 books in all, most of them New York Times bestsellers. You definitely want to check out. Really, every one of them are very fascinating. And watch the show, Winning Time. We really love it here. Let's talk a little college football. How about Texas beating Alabama? And that wasn't just uh, they edged them out. They beat them by 10 in Tuscaloosa, and it really wasn't even that close. Well, if you go back to last year, they had, a, they had a big lead last year yeah. in Texas and should
1: have won that game. This time they were able to finish it. it, it you could just tell from the very beginning that Texas was going to win that game. They just had their offense look better, their defense look good. They're switching to the SEC next season, so this was kind of a test for them. Um, the quarterback was a sophomore of yours who did a really good job of passing the ball, getting it around. They did a good job running the ball. I just thought Alabama just looked ordinary. They didn't Mm -hmm. look like a typical Alabama team that looked dominant on both sides of the ball. I I thought they got beat on both sides of the ball. I think they're going to have some problems at quarterback because their quarterback is more of a running quarterback. Um, Doesn't really throw the ball. Doesn't really. He locks in on receivers. And I think, you know, looking at that SEC, I don't think anybody's going to beat Georgia.
2: Yeah, and you were joking about it before the show that Arch Manning was the big oh, recruit yeah. that they got, but yours is playing so well that Arch yeah. Manning's not even get off the bench. You think he'll go in the transfer portal? Well next listen, year?
1: listen, if if I was if I was Nick Saban, I was over there talking to the Mannings and saying, Hey, look, you know, you saw our quarterback. Yeah. Like this guy, <laughs> your, your your grandson come over and play for us right now. But see, even in Texas right now, there's a tough situation because he's listed as the third quarterback. They're gonna have to make a decision with him within three or four and two more games whether to red shirt him or not, he's behind another quarterback and the quarterback who's starting right now. Ewers, is a sophomore unless he decides to go pro. Cause he does have a red shirt year. If he goes pro, then that shines a different light on the yeah, quarterback right. situation next season. But if you're, if you're the Mannings, do you really want to take that chance? Like what if, what if Ewers doesn't play well towards the end of the season and now his stock goes down and he decides he wants to stay. Now you're sitting here now it's going to be two years out on play. So Uh, and Alabama was one of his choices. He, He was really looking at Alabama. That was one of the places that he wanted to go to, so Uh, they're they're in the need of a quarterback. He might play right away.
2: That'll be something to watch. And, of course, the uh, primetime show rolls on. Deion Sanders and the Colorado Buffaloes take care of business in their home opener against Nebraska. Nebraska's really fallen off the face of the earth. They got a new coach in Matt Rule. But, really, this is all about Deion Sanders, his son, Shadur, who had another big passing game and is one of the frontrunners for the Heisman Trophy.
1: Listen, America, if you don't believe in Deion Sanders, you better believe in him. I'm telling you. They are the real deal. And everybody's starting to jump on the bandwagon now. You know, they they'd already sold out their their football field before you know everybody jumped on the bandwagon. So ticket sales were already there. Um, but they they're 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 fun to watch, they're exciting. Uh you can just tell that they love playing for Deion Sanders. You can't say that a lot of players love to play, like you see Nick Saban, how he acts on the sideline, his demeanor. He's always mad and yelling and grabbing players by the, you don't ever see Deion Sanders doing it. He always stays under control. And the thing I like about him, and I think this is why he resonates so well with the kids is, is that he treats them not like children. He treats them like men and he expects things. He holds them to a higher standard. You know, it's not just about football. It's about education. It's about trying to be a better person. And I'll tell you what, if if I'm a parent and I'm seeing what he's doing there, Oh, my kid might be a Colorado Buffalo next year, baby. <laughs> he might be there, baby. He might be playing for the prime time. Woo!
2: And, and Colorado is a good chance to go 3-0 this weekend when they have oh, they their will. state rival, Colorado State, coming in. And, and your Sooners with another win.
1: I'm not a believer yet in the Sooners. <sighs> yeah, they, you know, they had a hard time against SMU this this week. They beat, they beat the Sisters of the Poor the first week, 73-0. They had the coach crying on the sideline. Um, they got to play somebody. They got to play somebody. You know, because they, they struggled last year. And so they're coming into this year. They got a couple of easy games on the schedule, so they're able to get their confidence. And so it's going to be interesting to see. They play Texas, I think, in week four. And Texas looks like they're the real deal. Then looking at their schedule, Texas could run the table. Oklahoma's their toughest game. uh, Kansas State. So Oklahoma and Kansas State are their two toughest games. But the rest of it, they can can run the
2: table and find themselves in a national championship game going into the SEC the next year. And whispers, Northwestern will not be winless this year. They beat up on the Texas El Paso Miners. Oh, they have a
1: team? I thought <laughs> yeah. it was just a basketball program. <laughs> that, I think Tim no, Floyd was all, coaching the football's
2: yeah,
0: football Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> they're all two-way players. <laughs> oh, wow. No, it, was, it
2: was really nice for the program with everything yeah. those kids have been through. And they didn't just squeak it out. They had, they had a really nice game. They, what was it, like 38-7 or something yeah, like yeah. that?
0: Yeah, I mean, they, they got some players, but yeah, it, just the attitude is, you're right, it's got to shift a little bit.
2: And yeah, there are only 14,000 fans at Ryan Field. It's going to be tough because they want to build a new stadium there. They had initial approval for it. I don't know where that stands right now, but that, that could be a tough sell well, right
0: the, now. The money behind it is still pushing for it. So Okay.
2: Well, they've got some donors that can probably take care of. got a lot of donors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we wish David Braun and those kids all the success in the world because they've been through a lot with all the off-the-field stuff. You wanted quickly to mention a UFC fight that you enjoyed last Oh, last
1: yeah. There was a changing of the guard.
0: Tell them, tell them whispers. Strickland taking out. Uh, Adesanya, John
1: mm-hmm. Strickland. Uh, it didn't see this one coming. Didn't see it coming. Uh, Adesanya has been pretty dominant, you know, uh, in the middleweight division. You know, he, he lost twice uh, to Pereira, who's a who's a stud, who really should be probably a light heavyweight, who just moved up to light heavyweight. And Strickland is a guy that is a is a is a fighter. He talks a lot of trash, gets in your head, but he he actually is really good stand up game. He doesn't want to wrestle. He just wants to get out there and let's just throw hands and the best man wins, which yeah. I like to see. And I thought this was tailor made for Adesanya to go out there. You don't have to worry about anybody trying to take you down because he's not, his wrestling defense is, is okay. But if you beat him, that's where you're going to beat him on the ground. And I thought, you know, standing up, it was going to be a really good fight. And uh, Strickland took it to him. He won a unanimous uh, unanimous decision, but it wasn't even close. It wasn't yes, even close. Free at fight all. though,
0: just pinning him up against the, the cage and just pounding away. Just oh definitely. yeah, yeah. He
1: he had a good game plan. He had a, he had a very good game plan. You know, he, he tried to stay out of range, and then when he got in, crowded uh, uh, Izzy. He basically, you know, took his length away from him and took his kicking because, you know. Uh, Adesanya is a great kickboxer. So when you have a guy who's a great kickboxer, they they have the range. They have the you know the kicks, the punches, and he was able to you know close the distance and fight inside and and just outworked him and and knocked him on his butt. Uh, I thought that was the deciding part of the fight. Is when he when he floored him, hit him with a right hook and knocked him down, and almost had him out. And then the bell saved him. So uh, changing the guard, baby. UFC starting to get starting to get hyped now. <laughs> starting to get
0: hot
2: right now. Hey, speaking of fighters, did you see the video posted by our good friend Kendall Gill today? He went to the Bears game. Oh, with ran out of gas? gas. Who runs out of gas in twenty twenty three? I mean, listen. come on now.
1: And Kendall Gill, you should never run out of gas. They say Kendall. Kendall said, "Oh, I do this like once yeah. every month or something." I'm like, you need to get an electric car. You seriously, <laughs> Kendall? You got all the money in the world. Get you electric car. If you run out of gas every month. Get you an electric car. And his boy came and saved him. Brought yeah. A, brought a
2: can of gas. Matter stuff. of fact,
1: a matter of fact, his boy that came and saved him was at the, was at the Cubs game with us, Alex. he's oh, yeah. uh, he, he does that parlay with him. And he's a big LeBron James fan. So when I was walking out the door uh, after the game, he's like, hey, make sure you tell Kendall that uh, his boy said, what's up? I said, well, what's your name? He said, Alex, I do the parlay with him. He said, I always tell him that LeBron's better than MJ and that really burns Kendall up. So he said, when you see him, you know, tell him. So I'm like, I'll tell him. So now it's funny when I see Kendall, I'm going to be talking about you need to get an electric
2: car. Because you run out of gas that much, boy. Come on now. Maybe it's a thing where it's a challenge. How far can I get on this tank of gas? You know, because why, why would you run out of gas? I mean, it'll light up on your dashboard when you're getting dangerous uh, and close yeah, to They the
0: usually air. do. They have some yeah. kind of warning. Yeah. You make the money
1: Canada as the car tells you to get gas. Yeah. Hey, what we do you were guys You're running out of gas. You guys
0: think there's anything with that McConaughey effect with Texas? And then he goes and sits in Djokovic's box and he wins uh, the U.S. Open? All right,
2: all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. All right. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. That's a joke said afterwards. That's, that's a pretty good weekend. There's no question about it. Yeah, and and the Joker paying tribute to Kobe, who was, I guess he was really close to yeah. that. He had the, the yeah, shirt on. That and was so, nice 24. Yeah, How
1: he, about Coco Golf winning the uh, U.S. That was Open? and special. And then, yeah. and then also. You know, giving Jimmy Butler credit, you know, having almost every day, he was there almost every day. But he she gives him credit for changing her mentality. Wow. So, yeah, she said it made her tougher, made her, you know, be able to go through some adversity. Because remember, she's still a teenager. And so, Jimmy, you know, she credited Jimmy being the reason why she's kind of changed in the last six months as far as her mentality is concerned. So shout out to Jimmy Butler out there, you know, having Jimmy Butler mentality now.
2: Yeah, Jimmy Butler got a lot of airtime during the Buckets US mentality. coverage. We saw him almost <laughs> every night. Uh, we're just going to quickly do our what are we watching because it's just going to be winning time today in honor of Jeff Perlman. It's brought to you by our friends at Bigger's Mazda, their sizzling new Elgin location at Randall Road is the biggest Mazda store in Illinois. Bigger's is offering a bottle of Stacy's Signature Hot Sauce with first test drives of new or pre-owned vehicles. Everything from the coolest SUVs to the stunning Miata. So come on over and join the fun at 2100 Randall Road in Elgin. It's Bigger's Mazda. Tell them Stacy sent you. And they'll be happy to give you a free bottle of hot sauce. And hot speaking hot of hot sauce, you and Whispers had a little field trip last Thursday. Tell the folks about yes,
1: that. Yes, yes. We had. We went to the uh, we had the Sutter Home, had a, a tailgate party for the Cubs before the Cubs game. So, you know, you got to drink some wine. And uh, we were out there with Carrie Wood. You see right there, the picture right there is my man, DeAndre. Uh, he has a barbecue. He's a chef, but he has a barbecue uh, place over in Evanston. And then there's Carrie Wood right there. Uh, what do they call him, Kid K, Kid back K, in yeah. the day, yeah. And then that's Jessica right there. She was uh, she was a taste uh, taste tester too, but she didn't taste anything. It's four <laughs> burgers over there. Her burgers looked you know they looked like they were when they dropped
2: them off, pristine. Yeah. But the,
1: it was really cool because for every burger they had a glass of wine that you're supposed to taste with the burger. So yeah. they were trying to figure out which wine goes best with whatever burger. So, and the thing about it was it was not, it wasn't beef burgers. They were, it was chicken, it was a shrimp burger, which I never had a shrimp burger. And then it was a, a lamb burger. And it was uh, two two different uh, chicken, chicken burgers. So uh, we got to, you know, taste the wines. So there was a white wine, a rose, there was another white wine and then a red wine. And by the you know, second burger, you like you like kind of toasted. I'm like, nobody <laughs> knows how dry I am. Nobody knows. I mean, it was it was it was a lot of fun. And then we went over to uh went over to the uh, rooftops. Mm-hmm. They had a they they rented out the rooftop. We were able to go over there and meet some people, had a good time. We worked out, uh, we were, we were gonna make a trade with Sutter Home. They're gonna give us some wine to have on the show. We're gonna give them some hot sauce. So uh it was it was a pretty eventful night. Yeah, well Sounds done. good.
2: And we're hoping to have Kerry Wood on the show coming up yes. talking about his great career with the Cubs and your buddy Mike who was taking you around and uh, folks yes. should contact Windy City yes. whenever they have travel plans. Yeah, let me
1: have that ad right there, right. Mike. You know, they only gave us one. we were getting really cheap here now. Yes. We only get one piece of paper. We've got to share the same paper. Wow. <laughs> Windy City Limousine provides championship service. Making a reservation is so easy it's a slam dunk, America. Let Windy City break the full core pressure of traffic and get you to your destination in style and on time. Contact Windy at 847-916-9300. That's 847-916-9300. Or go to WindyCityLimos.com and ask for Mike Amorov. He is the man you want to drive you. Did uh, Mike bring you here today or did Eric drive? No, Mike brought me here. Mike He brought both me and my son Eric's here. Um, you know, he's Eric was supposed to be on the show, but he decided at the last minute he didn't want to be on the he show. Got bumped. Yeah, no, he didn't get bumped, he's scared. He's like a cat. He's over there shaking. He's like a, I was gonna give him his own little segment, Eric's Corner, where he sits yeah. in a corner and don't say anything. So he didn't want
2: to do no, that Wizard's already got that corner. Yeah, yeah, he's already got it. <laughs>
1: yeah. No wizard. <laughs> <laughs> Wiz- yeah, don't don't yeah, yeah, but steal you know that. what's funny though? It's funny though 'cause cause because this this my oldest son doesn't want to be on here. But my other son said, I'll be on there. I'll take Whisper's job. He doesn't do He doesn't bring <laughs> what What does Whisper's bring to the table? And I was like, oh, oh, come on, Garrett. <laughs> Garrett Gar- 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 Gar said that. Garrett's like, uh-uh. Garrett said, Whisper's Whisper just sits there like furniture. I can do that. I got more
0: ring-brain.
2: 146 there. episodes and people are still asking that question. What does Whisper's do? <laughs> <laughs> I, I,
0: I can't answer that myself. So there we go.
2: Did you order, like did you order the food this time? Or did you yeah, do we have food again? today? I, that's, 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 that's a sriracha food. That's a, that's a right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, last last year, well, last the uh, last few weeks, we we're on the show. Stale yeah, and we're over there eating stale chips. Like I'm sitting on there, like, where's the food at? Y'all with the food? We're
0: over eating stale chips. All yeah. we had was my salty nuts. Oh
1: man, yeah, we eating salt. No, I'm not eating nobody salt. You know, you ain't salty nuts. Don't even, don't be dragging me into that party. Hail to the no. And so we got food sauce. today, Francisco. We all got right, food I mean, today. We got a party.
2: Okay, there we go. Sounds good. It's Monday night. Getting ready for the opener, Aaron Rodgers against the Buffalo Bills. That should be a lot of fun. And the Funniest thing would be is if he gets his ass kicked after what Jordan Love did yesterday, and let him It's not going to happen.
1: It's not going to happen, Mark. No. And listen, we're we're on this. We're here on Mondays, America. That's right. Okay, so we'll be able to come into you and talk about the Bears now. Hopefully next week it'll be positive. Let's hope so. I hope it's positive because I don't want to be doing this all every week talking just talking negative, and because pretty soon we'll be hitting the bottle about the third well, game. Some, <laughs> I normally yeah. don't drink on Monday. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you know, neither. Sutter home is
2: sending some wine this way, we'll be
1: good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll have to, we'll, Every time they get beat or something, we'll have to take shots. We'll just yeah. bring some some whiskey in here and start to, uh, some digits or something. we we'll just start taking shots. By the end of the show, we will be so fun to watch. We'll be over here drunk, shirts off, (laughs) running around.
2: Come on, man. Yeah, Yeah, Windy City Limos for everyone after that. Hey, we want to thank our guest today. Mark Grody gave us, as we mentioned, the post-mortem on opening day for the Bears. And we were thoroughly entertained talking with Jeff Perlman about winning time and all the great books that he's written. So we hope you enjoyed it as well. As Stacy mentioned, we are doing our show, our tapings on Monday, live on YouTube and those available the next day on the Odyssey app and all where all the favorite podcasts are carried. So thanks again for watching and listening. Stacy, time to go. Drive home safe to Chicago. Beep beep.